All right, everybody. Normally we get into the starting 11 right now, but we have two fantastic conversations that I really want to get into. The first is with Tommy Thompson, the first ever MLS homegrown signing for the San Jose Earthquakes. The other is Brian Dunseth, former soccer player. Now he's a broadcaster. He's about as informed as it can get. With both of them, we're going to talk uh, about uh, youth soccer. We are going to talk about what's going on with U.S. soccer. We're going to talk about MLS. We're going to hit the whole board. Um, a lot of fun stuff going on. Of course, Carlos Cordero uh, was elected as the president of U.S. soccer. It depends on what side of the spectrum you want to view this. Some people say it's exactly the same. Some people say there's a reason that he was viewed favorably, and it's not just because he was uh, part of the existing establishment. For me, time will tell. We'll have to see what exactly happens. But again, you just have to wait and see. I don't think anybody knows exactly what's going to happen. The other one is MLS Live, according to reports, is now being taken over by ESPN+. Plus. It's going to be part of Disney's whole streaming system. This is a huge, huge move for Major League Soccer's digital platform. I see nothing but positivity coming from this. But without further ado, we are joined now by the first homegrown signing by the San Jose Earthquakes, the one and only Tommy Thompson. Tommy, how are you doing today? Doing good. Thanks for having me on the show. Always appreciated, man. And uh, it's just, it's pretty wild now. Like, you were the only homegrown guy for 14, 15, and 16. Then Nick comes along, and then we've got three more this year uh, with Jacob Akinurej and, of course, Gilbert Fuentes and uh, JT Marcinkowski. Um, do, do you feel kind of proud that you've, you know, you were the first one to establish what is now hopefully a, a pipeline of what's going on with the talent in the Bay Area to the San Jose Earthquakes? Yeah, the way I see it is the more the merrier. <laughs> I, I welcome any homegrown to the team. I'm excited to have uh, have young players be a part of the group. I think Nick did a really good job last year. He had a, he had a, a great season, and I think it just shows that there, there's plenty of talent in the Bay Area, and I, I think it's just gonna we're, we're gonna continue to produce MLS products. No, I agree 100%. You just look at all the, the talents in the Bay Area overall. That's what makes it so exciting because there's, you know, d- density of population. And, you know, it's just the sport keeps on getting more and more popular. And obviously, Tommy, you're an established professional now, but you do a lot of work with youth. I mean, does it seem like the talent today compared to, you know, 10 years ago when you were 12 years old, it, does it seem to you like the players are getting better and better? Yeah, Definitely. I, I think the game has changed so much in Northern California. I remember growing up, I'd go to uh, Oakmont High School and it'd be a beaten up turf field, or we'd be playing in, uh, in in a muddy grass field where you can barely get a touch on the ball. But nowadays, kids are exposed to high quality uh, turf surfaces through the Quakes Academy, and they're they're getting uh, professional reps with uh, the Quakes first team at such a young age these are all opportunities that um are are new for youth soccer players in this area so i i think it's just going to create a a better environment for for development so i'm excited like i said i think the earthquakes are going to continue to produce mls caliber products now it's going to be fun to watch and it it also kind of leads me to another question for you tommy and i didn't i didn't you know i get a chance to ask you at the time when Christian Pulisic put out that story for the Players' Tribune and he kind of talked about how players needed to be going out there 
um, to Europe and challenging themselves at higher levels and some of the you know top level talent in the states kind of get to skate by but I mean, I talked to Nick Lima about it a little bit, and he was saying that, you know, when he was 16 and able to train with the Earthquakes first team, that he wasn't um, – nobody was giving him a free pass. He, he, he was able to have that opportunity afforded to him, but he said it's not like anybody took it easy on him. Did you did you agree with what Christian had to say, or did you kind of disagree because you did have to go out there and you were 18 being put on the pitch in Major League Soccer? So what, what exactly are you asking? What part? I know I know what Christian uh, released. It, it was quite the the long message. What, what exactly <laughs> are you asking? Like what what part of it? Um, just, just the part where where he's the part where he said that you know you 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 can't get that level of experience in the states that he was able to get going to Europe because I I mean I understand that he's kind of you know, the new face of American soccer. But at the same time, like, it, it's hard for me to ignore the opportunities that, you know, you and Nick Lima got to go out there and be playing at a very high level at a young age. And I thought that it, his viewpoint was kind of shielded from what maybe might have been the reality in the States because he didn't get the United States experience because he had the dual passport. I don't know. I mean, is it a two-way street or, I mean, does he just – does he have a unique viewpoint? Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I think that actually leads to a, a long conversation. <laughs> but in, in, in a nutshell, I think there is real opportunity in the United States. I think 10 years ago, I wouldn't have said that. But now with, with the development of MLS academies and with uh, Major League Soccer encouraging teams to sign younger and younger players, I think it is a real alleyway to get into professional soccer no. like i think as major league soccer continues to establish itself amongst the world's best leagues it's it's just going to continue to grow and, and continue to foster development uh, or, or better and better environments for for young players to to develop and you, you see that with uh gabriel you see that with jacob in in our system you know they're they're here in preseason with us mm-hmm. they're they're getting professional reps they're they're playing in uh, preseason friendlies against other MLS teams, that's what you need as a young player. So I, I think there is great opportunity in Europe as well. But I think I think now with, with the growth of these academies and with how uh, teams are implementing more and more academy players into their preseasons and into their uh, practices throughout the MLS season, I think there's real opportunity in the United States, and I, I think that's something to be excited about. How much did your level of play change after that first year with the Earthquakes in 2014? Because I know you were also spending some time with Sacramento Republic, but you were also, you know, here with the first team a lot, and you made that first appearance in 2014. Um, you know, did you feel your your game jumped leaps and bounds in that one year? Yeah, so I I think I see what Christian is is trying to say. I think when when kids uh, spend four years in college, that's where it is a little difficult because then they're coming out as a 22 or 23 year old into a professional environment mm-hmm. where they haven't been exposed to anything like that throughout their entire uh, youth soccer career. Yeah. But, but n- nowadays if a kid like Jackson Ewell goes to school for a year or two, or like I, w- I went to Indiana for a season and then I come into the pros, um, you learn so much so quickly. I think, I think the early you, earlier you are exposed to that professional environment, the better. Um, and I mean, it depends on each kid's situation. Yeah. But you definitely do learn a lot <laughs> throughout your couple of years, throughout your <laughs> first couple of years as a professional. I, 
I, I describe it as uh, drinking from a fire hose. <laughs> but if you, if you if you if you keep your head down and you keep working hard and practice, even if you don't necessarily notice that you're getting better every single day, you are. And and that's just learning from guys like Chris Wanolowski or guys like Danny Houston. You just see the way they go about training and the level of professionalism they have just day in and day out rubs off on you. No, so I, I think I think being exposed to environments like this is really important. No, great stuff here with Tommy Thompson here on the Soccer Hour, KMBR 1050. Were, were you prepared? I mean, obviously you had the, the physical and the soccer skills, but like when you become a pro emotionally and all of a sudden you're seeing people wearing j- jerseys with your name on it and people are cheering for you and you're in, you know, packed stadiums with, that, you know, tens of thousands of people. I mean, were you prepared for that when you first, you know, became a professional and would go out there or was it, was it a little overwhelming? Yeah, I don't know if you can be prepared for that necessarily <laughs> at, at 18 years old, but you, you just learn quickly and you, and you adapt. Like it, it was like having my first start away at Seattle in front of 35,000 people. It was a little overwhelming, but when the ball's at your feet, it's just like every other day that the ball's at your feet. Mm-hmm. So you just have to learn how to adapt quickly and the, the guys around you uh, will support you and, and make you feel more and more comfortable. So I, I, w- I wouldn't say it was an easy transition. Like I, ha- I actually put on um, 20 pounds and I had to work hard for a number of years to become a consistent um, player on it for the earthquakes, but I learned a lot from it. And so I'm really grateful to have been given the opportunity at 18 years old to, to learn from, from guys like, like Wando and um, other players in the locker room. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because for, for me, from my point of view, um, when you really started to take that leap, as we saw, you know, in 2014, there were – definite signs of growth and then in 2015 definite signs of growth and then as the 2016 season progressed that's where it seemed like okay wow here's all this ability that Tommy Thompson that we see from him and suddenly he's looking like uh, a guy who's got an unbelievable amount of potential that can finally that you could kind of you know use at your disposal and obviously 2017 it just continued that way for you you really came into your own I mean does the game slow down for you I mean why suddenly I guess towards the end of that 2016 season did everything kind of start to fall into place for you Uh, I'd say it's just like week in and week out playing with some of the best players in the United States. Yeah. Like growing up, I always played forward um, for my youth soccer teams, for my uh, college at Indiana University. I was always a forward. So I, I, I wouldn't say I was one-dimensional, but I was used to going about every game a certain way. Mm-hmm. But then when I walked in a professional locker room, I was forced to become versatile. And I, I was for, forced to play outside mid, holding mid. Uh, attacking mid, you know, withdrawn forward, whatever it is, and having having to learn these different positions at the MLS level wasn't easy. But once I continued getting those reps in practice and continued getting those reps in in friendlies, and then when I make those substitutions in the game or when I start a game here and there, I started picking up on all these different things, and I started to become really comfortable in all these different positions. So I, I think, I, like how you mentioned, uh, I really came onto the scene. Uh, tw- like towards the end of 2016, um, I think that was just like a culmination of everything I've learned throughout the the past three or four years that I was a pro. Yeah, but it's a process. There's so much to learn. You're drinking from a fire hose, and and you really 
you have to adapt to a lot of different situations, but everything has just started to click here in the past couple of years. And so I'm really excited about continuing to, uh, to represent the earthquakes and to hopefully, uh, get an MLS cup here in the next couple of years. I I love it, man. And I I just remember in, in Atlanta, um, when you scored your first goal right at the start of the game, they there it was an old stadium, you know, Bobby Dodd Stadium. Georgia Tech's played there forever, and it was a wild atmosphere. So, hey, it was it was it was super fun just in, in begin with because they just they're they're loud down there, and that's always great. I think they were louder yeah. in Seattle. It was wild. But Jesse yeah. Fiorinelli was in my booth with me because they they didn't have there was a mix up about where he was so supposed to go, and he didn't have a, a a booth, so he was right next to me, and just right off the bat. You score that goal and silence the entire crowd. And I had never been next to Jesse in a game before. And he's, you know, he's jumping up and down and yelling. So I'm like, okay, I get this. Jesse's like me when I'm watching sports. Because, you know, I have to play it cool when I'm broadcasting. Man, I'm still pro-earthquakes, but I can't be, you know, dropping F-bombs in the middle of a broadcast and high-fiving people. But, but he was going nuts. And you just silenced that place. I mean, there was a lot of hype about Atlanta at that point. And that place, it went to, from being a madhouse to you could hear a pin drop. I would just imagine for you, I, like we all do it, you know, whether we're trying to win the, the game-winning shot and in the NBA Finals or the go-ahead goal or whatever it is, you assume there's going to be a, an explosion of sound. How was it for you to get that first goal and then to have it completely silence about 50,000 people? Yeah, it, it was unbelievable because that, that was the Fourth of July as well. Yeah. So it, it was it was the game was was quite the the spectacle, and I, I was really excited just to be a part of it. Uh, and then when, when when that ball fell to me in the in the eighteen yard box, and I watched the I watched the ball hit the back of the net, it was just a huge relief off my shoulders. And it's actually it's actually funny because I had a celebration planned for three and a half years. You know, <laughs> I, I, I've thought about scoring my first goal for a long time. But just the excitement of the moment was was too much to handle. I completely forgot about everything, and like all I remember is Wando coming up to me, giving me a huge hug, and then and then Shea Salinas uh, came in after and grabbed me, and he he, he just he, I remember the exact words he said. He's just like, look around, take it all in, <laughs> and then and I and I and I, and I looked up, and it's just like. 40,000 people just silent, and uh, that's 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 a moment I never. I'll never forget. We'll continue this conversation with Tommy Thompson coming up next. All right, everyone, welcome back. We are continuing our conversation with Tommy Thompson. We were talking about his first goal and his first assist as they happened during the 2017 campaign. Now, it, it was awesome, man. And the other thing that I always get a kick out of is um, with Wando, when you had your first assist that allowed him to get the late equalizer against Orlando, I believe that was on a, a Wednesday night um, yeah. last year. And then with that goal, Wando, even though on your assist he scored the goal he was he was far more excited for you than he was for himself like that's I think that's really cool though because people you know they they know with the team that you're you know he's the captain and he's he's gonna wear that title but when he responds like that when he's more excited for his teammates than he is himself I, you know that that's pretty cool I think that has an impact on the team because when Wando scores usually he just kind of looks pissed off it's he's like he's like on fire whereas when you when you were doing something he was like elated completely happy yeah, I mean that's just a testament to Wando's character. He's such a selfless guy, and he's genuinely happy for whoever passes the ball to him. Like he, he's just like so grateful for every opportunity <laughs> he gets. And I mean he, he's seen 
he's seen what I've gone through as a professional and how much I've grown. So I, I think he's room for me just like I'm room for him. So uh, whenever we connect on any sort of MLS goal or uh, any open cup goal, whatever it is, we're just both really excited for each other. <laughs> I, I think that shows on the field. No, it is. And it's fun to watch. And again, we're talking to Tommy Thompson right now here on the Soccer Hour, KMBR 1050. Um, what are your thoughts so far on the new head coach, Michael Starray? Um, how has your role changed or, or say, stayed the same? And I mean, because, you know, you talked about your versatility and we've seen you do a number of things. I mean, what, what is your preferred position at this point? Or is it just kind of trying to figure out how you can best utilize your skill set? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the formation, but I've been playing a lot of outside outside mid, so like as a, as a right winger mm-hmm. um, in this preseason, and I've had a lot of success there so far. So I've I've really enjoyed it. I like the the new the new management, and I think they've done a they've done a good job, and they they put a lot of faith in me. Um, so I'm just going to keep my head down and, and do everything I can to make the biggest impact I can for this team. No, I think everybody appreciates that, and they see the the work that you guys put in. And, you know, the one thing that's really interesting this year is, is a lot of turnover. And I, I was thinking back to it. Tell me if I'm wrong. You and Shay and Chris are now the only guys left over from your rookie year in 2014, right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, is that is it wild just to have seen that kind of turnover in such a, a short amount of time? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I mean, a lot of my friends have, have come and gone. And I formed some really good relationships uh, with guys that played in 2014, 2015, 2016, you name it. But that's just the nature of the beast. Um, when you sign a professional contract, you know that nothing's guaranteed. And you never know what might happen in the next week, let alone the next year. So uh, I'm used to it. And uh, the most important thing is to, to focus on what you can control. And, and that's uh, doing a good job on the field for the earthquake. So. That's all I really focus on. Now, man, good stuff here. And again, we got Tommy Thompson on the Soccer Hour, KMBR 1050. And just one last one for you. Um, you're out there in the in the community a whole lot. You do stuff with uh, street soccer um, and, and what Rob's doing with them. And you're also out there talking to the kids at different schools. And I, I want to say you've also done some coaching on the side. I mean, you, every time it's, it's shared on social, you're just – I mean, you're a natural with the youth in a way that I think, you know, not a lot of people want to be but aren't. I mean, is there anything you can attribute that to, or do you just, you know, kind of consider yourself a big kid still? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I 100% attribute that to my dad. I, I grew up in soccer camps, basically, so I watched how he interacted with me. I watched how he interacted with my teammates growing up, and so I learned so much from him, and so I think that's just allowed me to uh, have fun with any of the appearances I do, whether that's with Street Soccer USA or any of the youth soccer clubs in the area. Um, I'm, I'm just really comfortable coaching and really comfortable being around kids. And that, that, that's something that I love doing, and that's something I hope to do in the future as well once I'm done playing. Just because it's, it's, it's a great feeling to, to watch kids develop and to see them get better and to see them actually learn from you. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a special feeling. So that, that's something I want to continue to do. And I'm lucky that uh, Rob Rob's given me the opportunities he's had with Street Soccer USA, and I'm just I'm just looking forward to uh, continuing that relationship and con- continuing to hopefully make the biggest impact in the community that I can. Because that, that's what it's all about. It's about winning MLS games and leaving your mark in the community as well. 
Love it, man. Well, Tommy, I know you got stuff to do, so I will let you go. But I appreciate your time as always. I always have a blast uh, interviewing you, and it's always fun seeing you do your thing out there on the pitch and with the uh, people like I got to see you doing on uh, Sunday out at the Jersey Unveiling, man. But uh, great stuff, and I will uh, I will see you soon. All right, man? Uh, yeah, sounds good. We actually got a team meeting here, so oh, I got nice. That's perfect timing. <laughs> right on, man. Tommy Thompson, everyone. Of course, the first-ever homegrown player for the San Jose Earthquakes, and he continued to have his ascent in Major League Soccer in 2017, breaking through with his first goal, and he also notched a few assists as well. We are now linked up with, however, the one and only Brian Dunseth, of course, former American soccer player, and now he has gone to the dark side, part of the broadcast world. Dunny, what's going on, man? I'm good. I'm good. How you doing, man? I'm doing very well, man. Just uh, just getting excited for the start of the Major League Soccer season. Of course, there's also uh, lots going on with U.S. soccer, which I wanted to ask you about for a bit. But I just, you know, I wanted to get your historic perspective, um, with uh, which I understand makes you sound much older than you actually are because you are a very young man. <laughs> um, but, you know, you were there in 1997 at the infancy of Major League Soccer, and we're coming up on, yeah. a, on a regular season after the most exciting offseason that I can ever remember. I mean, I think the only thing that really compares to what's gone on since, you know, the middle of December would be, you know, Beckham a decade ago. And what's happened over the last couple months, I mean, this this is wild. This has been like nothing that I've really seen. And, you know, I've, I've been around it since, you know, day one. I was at the first game. But this, this offseason, man, has just been incredible. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because you're absolutely correct and I don't, you know, I've been trying to say this for maybe next four months. I really don't think MLS fans realize what's happening in real time. Meaning that for the past 12 months, I've been saying that these next three years are when we are going to look back at Major League Soccer and say, yep, that was the turning point. Mm -hmm. That's where everything changed. Um, And I give full credit to the ownership because they looked around and they recognized that you know what, we're, we're a pretty dang good uh, league. You know, we, we've done well in a short amount of time to create something out of nothing uh, to compete with these leagues around the world on a, on a very small scale. But you know what, we got to ramp it up. And by ramping up, like you said, they started with David Beckham, and I don't think they'll ever get the credit that he deserves for changing this league top to bottom and changing the course of trajectory um, in, in an incredible way. Mm-hmm. But the depends on the fact of party allocation, like, I mean, Look, look, look in your own backyard with the San Jose Earthquake yeah. what they've been able to do and the money they've been able to spend and um, you know you use target allocation money in a couple of different ways you know you can bring in impact players it's discretionary so you don't have to use it you can use up to 5 point what is it 6 5.7 mm-hmm. somewhere in that range you can use up to 2 years worth in one go but you can also use it as leverage and you can almost use it as a loan deal um, and even pull a little bit more and I think that's what's been impressive is that we, we've seen an influx of foreign talent um, and it's going to make it really difficult for domestic talent to compete but it's going to raise the level significantly both day-to-day in the training facilities and obviously um, on the field during the games and don't let anyone tell you they know what they're talking about heading into the season because <laughs> it, is, uh, it, it is the great unknown because I think there's going to be a lot of hits, there's going to be a lot of misses uh, but without a shadow of a doubt the level of this game is going to raise significantly this year in MLS. 
Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And I guess that is, there's so many different ways we can we can go out of that, um, you know, to talk about what's going to happen this year. And I guess I'll just ask you for, for parity's sake in the league. I mean, the NBA right now, we know it's going to be the Warriors and the Cavs. In baseball, you know, you've got a pretty good idea what's going to happen. They're closer in terms of parity. You see more of what's going on. You talk about the NFL, yeah. you're probably going to see Tom Brady versus somebody else next year. That's essentially how it's been. Hockey, you know, the Blackhawks yeah. are going to be there there's there's a couple of teams we've been looking at that just kind of don't go away but with major league soccer i mean it's that is the the great cry of parody right now is i have no idea what's going to happen i mean people keep on asking me and i just i I don't know get back to me in september i mean a couple years ago i did not see portland making a run i didn't see seattle making a run two years ago i thought toronto was going to be pretty good last year i didn't know they were going to be that good and going into the final i'll be honest i picked seattle because i thought they were going to be the tougher team and then they apparently just decided that the win weren't important in that game and uh, and Toronto <laughs> took advantage and they looked every bit as good as everybody you know propped them to up to be all year they were amazing I want to see now what they do in Champions League but that said Atlanta is going to be very very good both New York teams are going to be very very good what the Galaxy have done in the offseason what I think Portland and Seattle can be San Jose RSL you know I mean there's there's and I'm leaving teams off that obviously deserve a recognition here but I mean the greater point is I I have no clue what's going to happen yeah, and, and I'm glad you said that because it goes back to what I said. Anyone who acts like they're the expert this year, out of their mind. Um, <laughs> I think the only thing that we can say is Toronto FC is going to be a damn good team. Yeah. Um, adding Vanderbilt uh, in, in a wide spot um, and replacing Stephen Bettisher, who's left for LAFC. Um, I think New York, uh, NYCFC's got better. I have no idea what Jesse Marsh and the New York Red Bulls are doing. Uh, Orlando City has gotten significantly better. Um and I'm fascinated to see how Jason Christ does with kind of the old, the influx of older established guys in Major League Soccer. Um, and Atlanta, you know, adding Donald to Nagby, mm-hmm. um, adding Bartho, uh, good pieces. I, I, I wonder with the loss of Carmona what defensive midfield looks like. Um, and I still, I'm, I'm not completely sold on Gonzalo Perez and Michael Partris, uh, but we know at home they're very good. And, this year, having a, a more stretched out home game schedule is going to look drastically different. Yeah. In the West, um, it's all, it's been about momentum for the last couple of years. Every team that takes momentum into the playoffs, and I feel like we haven't had a perennial heavyweight since uh, you know the Bruce Arena years at the LA Galaxy. Um, you talked about the Galaxy; they got better, but they yeah. had to get better. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were <laughs> terrible last year. Um, you know, they pivoted in a way that nobody really could ever imagine and it was tough to swallow um the, the sacrificial lambs were not only the young players but the coaching staff yeah diggy comes in he brings in dom um you know you bring in bingham who's got an attitude and something to prove harry kitchen comes back they get old kamara i'm hearing there's a big big name on its way to la then what about bob bradley and lafc i think they've they put some good pieces together i think they're far from finished i think they'll make their big splash in the summer window because of the World Cup being so close, the inability to go out and get massive, massive names. And Carlos Vela is a good player, but he's not a massive name. Um, Carlos Vela is the same as Giovanni Dos Santos and Jonathan Dos Santos. If you can get Chicharito, even if you get a Guardado, that's a game changer for me in the LA market. San Jose is significantly better. I'm really interested to see how uh, the influx of foreign talent comes together and how quickly uh, they can start to gel. And um, you know, how, how a coaching staff is new to MLS deals with the rigors of travel, expectation, um, altitude, heat and humidity, 
uh, artificial surface, going through customs, <laughs> traveling uh, like the rest of us, acting <laughs> like a sardine across the country. Um, and then also, uh, they something better up here. Uh, they added a, a couple of pieces. So, and then they ended up uh, with a really strong run after our horrific first half of the year. So, we'll see what happens. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by the prospect, but I think we'll get a, a better lay of the land come the start of June um, because I think we'll see a lot of ups and downs in terms of the results. And uh, by the way, I think I'll repeat myself the way I did last year. So the Western Conference, to be successful, and those elite teams to separate themselves from the pack, they have to be very good at home, and most importantly, they have to take uh, maximum points, whether at home or on the road against the Eastern Conference, because that was what separated teams in the playoff hunt last year. Mm -hmm. We'll continue this conversation with Brian Dunseth coming up next. Welcome back to the Soccer Hour, everyone. Ted Ramey with you. We are continuing our conversation with Brian Dunseth, of course, former American soccer player, now turned broadcaster, in my opinion, one of the absolute best in the biz. And, Brian, I wanted to ask you, when I'm, when I'm thinking about a guy like yourself, I'm guessing that you were not just good at soccer, that you were pretty much good at any sport you wanted to play. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I was the kid whose parents – uh, would punish them by just saying you can't leave the house. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I hated being inside. Um, I wanted nothing to do with it. And my parents never took anything away from me. My mom just said you can't go outside today. And that was like <laughs> the worst case scenario for me as a kid. <laughs> okay, that's fair. So, I, you're you're wondering why I'm asking this, but I'm I'm parlaying it because there's you amongst a cadre of others. I want to ask this question because it all came up with the article for the Players' Tribune that Christian Pulisic did talking about how it was so different for him having that um, that passport that allowed him to go and train in Europe and be part of the yeah. European Academy system. Why is soccer so different? Because we don't have a problem putting out the best baseball talent. The NHL is being fed, obviously, worldwide, but the U.S. and Canada are doing something right. The NBA, the NFL, you look at what we do with track and field, you look at what we do with swimming, I mean, we've turned gymnastics into a powerhouse by borrowing from the Romanian method. I mean, you go down the list, and the United States doesn't have the problem it does with a lot of other sports that it currently does with soccer. And, I mean, what yeah. specifically is it? Because I've, I've talked to Nick Lima about this. He got a chance to train with the Quakes first team when he was 16 years old. Tommy Thompson, I talked to him earlier today talking about the idea of, like, hey, man, like, you were a young kid. You know, do you feel like your, you know, opportunity wasn't the same? And he said, well, 10 years ago it would have been a lot different. He said it's, you know, yeah. it's changed, obviously. So wh where do you fall on that and that art uh, uh, the, the arguments in the article made by Pulisic. Yeah, um, well, there's, there's a couple of things that play against cancer here in the United States. And I'm 40, about to turn 41. Like you said, I, I joined Major League Soccer in 1997 to give people a background. I was the second Project 40 player to ever sign mm -hmm. with Major League Soccer, and that is now Generation Adidas, which is slowly kind of being weeded out with uh, the Development Academy. Um, okay, first and foremost, when I was growing up, I didn't know anything about soccer. I think it was more <laughs> of a generational thing. Yeah. Um, you know, what's this soccer? Why, like, we got you in basketball and baseball. Why, why do you keep gravitating towards soccer? They didn't really know anything. So I think now we're kind of getting a, a um, we're, we're getting an education and former players retiring, not only becoming coaches, but becoming strength and conditioning players, uh, coaches becoming um, advocates for the psychological part, uh, the dietary part, all of those different conversations that come in through kind of the athletic side of training players week in, week out. Um, the other part of it is, Listen, uh, 
to, 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 to get the cheerleader, to get the homecoming queen, usually got to be the point guard or the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And, you know, remember the, the MTV cribs, we stand the light. You know, we, we, we had generations upon generations that were uh, really glamorizing all of the other sports because mm-hmm. of the financials that come around with it. You know, the contracts, the $100 million uh, contracts for Kevin Garnett's left and right. You could get, you could get the, uh, you know, the catalog escalator with the spinners and live in a mansion. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what it was all about. Um, I think now also we, we are going to have an issue here, um, and, and it was first really hammered home by Jorge Luis Pinto, who was uh, the Honduras under-23 head coach. Um, and when Honduras beat the United States at uh, Rio Tinto Stadium in Salt Lake City in the final game to qualify for the Olympics to knock the United States out of going to the Olympics, uh, he was asked afterwards, he said, what's the difference between the Honduran player and the, and the U.S. player? And it was, it, was, it was really telling. He said, well, here in the States, kids get iPads for Christmas in Honduras to get a soccer ball. Yeah. And you just think about kind of the hunger and the passion and the desire. Um, those are all kind of interesting conversation points, but it's also the distractions. Um, you know, there's a, it, it, it's not just all of that. It's just not, not just, you know, being able to go out and date or get in a car and have that freedom or everything that comes along with high school and junior high. I think more than anything, it's also, like you said, I mean, I, I grew up playing literally every sport. Uh, if, if I was playing golf with my, with my dad at the weekend, if I was playing mm-hmm. baseball or football or basketball, even all the way through high school, um, I was constantly busy, but there were so many things going on. So I think things are changing. Opportunities are changing. Uh, coaches are, are, the coaching education is getting much, much better. Um, and I think at the end of the day, the only thing that really matters is I think each kid, if you ask them, as they get to a certain point, if they get to college, if they get to the pros, uh, you know, what was that one moment, that one moment that changed everything for you? Um, you know, everyone has their Michael, their Michael Jordan moment. Mine was when I was 12 years old with Upland Celtics and we beat uh, some team uh, in Bakersfield for the State Cup Championship 6-0. Uh, I was a starter on the team, and I was cut the next day from that team, and they said I wasn't good enough. And that was my moment. That was my moment to say, screw you guys. I'm so much better than you think I am, and I'm going to prove it to you. And I'm the only kid on that team to, to be a professional soccer player. So um, there, there has to be a little heartache. There has to be failure. But in that failure, you hope that there's a, a psychological urge to prove themselves uh, and turn it into a, you know, turn it into a, a, a really good, you know, cemented moment in time that everyone can look back at and say, this is the moment that I felt like I had to prove myself that I could take it into that next year. Again, we're talking to Brian Dunseth right now here on the Soccer Hour KMBR 1050. We'll, we'll wrap it up with this one. I saved the, the best for last. Uh, Carlos Cadero, uh, what was your yeah. initial reaction? Um, there's a lot, I mean, it's been a polarizing decision, one that I, I – here's my deal, Brian, and I think you can get this, is I think people wanted a president that was kind of like Taylor Twellman's reaction on ESPN – after the yeah. loss to Trinidad and Tobago, they yeah. wanted that put into a president to which I said, that's not going to change anything. It's just going to make for really entertaining TV. But I yeah. felt like there were so many questions and so many things. I mean, is this as big of a decision as people make it out to be? And if it is, is the fact that he's going to go after a GM and delegate power, does that give you hope? Or are you of the mind of, no, this was, this was wrong? Um, okay, so I've got no skin in the game and obviously been covering it on our show on Sirius Sam. And I was at the desk with Kate Abdel and Yvonne Karofsky, 
uh, in L.A. for the conference in between uh, Bundesliga this weekend while Grant Wall and Alexi Lawless were in Orlando. So there's two things called. Number one, there was the campaigning that we saw on social media. Uh, and like you said, it started with, I'm going to try to rattle these off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> it was the campaigning of the loss of Trinidad Tobago, pay for play, development academy, coaching costs, referee uh, education, uh, Jonathan Gonzalez, um, the FIFA calendar, promotion relegation, pay quality for the U.S. Women's National Team. I think I hit them all. I'm probably missing a couple. Um, and so that, that was that was everything's broken, burn it down, fire everybody, um, and let's start over. Well, the problem is not everything was broken. And mm-hmm. I understand because we, we glorify Premier League the way we do it in the States that the pomp and the circumstance surrounding promotion relegation is very fascinating. But let's be honest, there's a once-in-a-lifetime situation where a club like Leicester City is going to rise and be the cream of the crop and win, win the Premier League. But through those stories, those amazing stories are the ashes of, let's say, a Charlton Athletic, mm-hmm. of a Leeds United. Um, you know, did, was was Brad Bazan devastated that Aston Villa got relegated? Maybe. But he got a, he got a new job at Middlesbrough. Was he, was he devastated when Middlesbrough was relegated? Maybe, but he went on to go play for Atlanta United. Mm-hmm. In, in, those, in those tears of the ashes of clubs that never ever come back are you know are, are players that move on because unless you live in that town people don't really care yeah because the players will continue to go on and play so you know you, you had you had mike winograd talking about guest promotion uh and and you had eric Ronaldo talking about promotion relegation you had Kyle martino talking about the under over under campaign where he was trying to put soccer goals underneath every basketball court here in the United States and what that would look like. Um, you know, talk about committees and making things better. But when you talk about establishment, the one thing about Carlos Cordero, he came as an independent director to U.S. soccer and was in charge after he was retired early from Goldman Sachs. He took over the Treasury and the Budget Committee. He was one of the reasons why that, that budget, that war chest we talked about and celebrated is at $150 million. He was the one when we talked about, you know, Sunil Gulati, who's never going to have the presidency, will never have the same power that Sunil Gulati had, uh, Carlos was a part of that board creating, um, you know, that, that power vacuum, pulling it back away from the president and spreading it amongst the board. He was the one that, that really pushed hard for the general manager's position for the men and women and got that okay so as he was the vice president. Um, is he the right guy? Time will tell. And he's not going to be given the benefit of the doubt, but he and Kathy Carter were less interested about running public campaigns than they were behind the scenes, meeting with U.S. Youth Soccer, meeting with um, the Pro Council, meeting with the Council, meeting with the adult side and the membership and the state associations, which I found really, really fascinating because in the court of public opinion, it was Eric Ronaldo and Kyle Martino that ran away with it. Um, in the American Outlaws uh, poll, Carlos Cordero came in dead last. Huh. So what the public wants and what the voting structure wants are two different things. And I did find it interesting that no one was talking about the FIFA scandal or FIFA calendar. Nobody was talking about promotion allegations when it came time to vote in Orlando, which leads me to believe two things. Number one, nobody cares about promotion relegation the way people <laughs> try to make it out to be on Twitter. I agree. Um, number two, um, that however Carlos Cordero went, around, went about his campaign and meeting face to face, that led me to believe that while things were 
were not broken. There were plenty of people that were frustrated with the lack of having a voice and the inability to talk to someone face-to-face. And I think that's what really captured the imagination of a lot of these uh, state soccer associations. No, by the way, um, I don't think it should be lost on anyone that Kathy Carter came in as uh, almost the very last candidate. Um, I, I think to think personally that maybe there was a, a conversation of, you know, Eric Ronaldo and Cal Martino have a great platform and they've got a lot of momentum. Maybe we should figure out a way to have multiple candidates that are quote-unquote insiders to maybe buffer some of this uh, momentum that Martino and Ronaldo were taking and ultimately create a ceiling because neither of those ever got anything higher in the three rounds than 13%, mm-hmm. which was very, very telling to me um, that the public campaigns versus uh, you know the campaigns run face-to-face behind the scenes, uh, maybe things weren't as broken as people wanted to make it out to be. Brian, fantastic as always, man. I've stolen plenty of your time, but uh, it's absolutely great. This is why people listen to you on SiriusXM FC with Counterattack. You're the man, and I it's it's always fantastic talking to you. I am very much looking forward to uh, RSL coming out here and my trip to uh, Salt Lake so I can see you soon. All right, my friend? Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, make some time for me. Make sure we get together and hang out for a bit. Looking forward to it, my man. Likewise. Brian Dunseth, everyone. Again, American soccer player. Come to the dark side on the broadcast side of things. And again, I am just teasing. But if you're not following him on Twitter, at Brian Dunseth, if you are not listening to him on SiriusXMFC or watching any of the RSL broadcasts or his work with ESPN, you are missing out. That wraps it up for the Soccer Hour here on KMBR 1050. I want to give a big thank you to everybody that came out to the Earthquakes jersey unveiling at uh, Hornet Field in Alameda this past Sunday. That was absolutely a great event. I had a really good time meeting all the people at the Alameda Soccer Club. A big thanks to Eugene Demler. He was a force and just a fantastic human being. I was really excited uh, to see what he had done, what he'd been doing in his activity in the community, the soccer community, and he's just an all-around great guy. So, uh, Eugene, if you're listening, it was very much a uh, pleasure hanging out with you and I'm very excited for what uh, you and the earthquakes in the city of Alameda were able to put together. Uh, For the San Jose Earthquakes, I am Ted Ramey signing off. I will see you all next Wednesday night.